Welcome to the Frontline Response to Health and Homelessness podcast series. This series is based on the articles published in the March 2020 edition of Parity Magazine, which is available on the link accompanying this podcast. That magazine and this podcast series give voice to those with lived experience of homelessness, those working on the front line, and those that support the sector in delivering services to people who are homeless. My name is Dan Fleming, and I'm delighted to introduce our host, John Willis, who leads the inclusive health team for St. Vincent's Health Australia. John will introduce our guests in just a moment. As we're recording during the COVID-19 pandemic, John and our guests will be with us by phone for this episode. John, over to you. Thanks, Dan, and I'm really pleased to welcome Anna Jarek and Bernadette Smith, otherwise known as Bern, who both work for the Health Independence Program at St Vincent's Hospital, Melbourne, which I know reasonably well. So, Anna, you're the project coordinator, um, and Bern, you're the senior registered nurse for this project known as the Integrated Primary Health Service at the Salvation Army 614 Precinct. Lovely to have you on this series. How are you both going? Really well, thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, very Great. well. Thank, thank you. Great. Now, this, this project's very close to my heart. I was involved way back when this started. So, um, But let's, let's jump into your article and let, let you tell your story here. Um, your article outlines this, that there, there's, this was setting up a primary health service um, down the road at the Salvation Army 614 in Melbourne. And I know the Salvos have been down there for quite a number of years already. So to start with, Anna, do you want to tell us where this idea came from to establish a primary health service just a stone throw from the hospital? What, what issues were you trying to address? Yeah, thank you. Um, well, I guess just um, because the hospital is located a short stroll away from the 614 precinct in Burke Street, for anyone who knows Melbourne, um, it doesn't actually make um, you know, accessing healthcare any easier. Um, hospitals can be really hard to navigate. For anyone, not just people who might be vulnerable or marginalised, but so it's just like you could be a hundred kilometres away. You reckon it doesn't make any difference? I don't think it makes an iota of difference because hmm. um, hospitals are daunting. They're scary. They are busy places. There's a lot of waiting around in ED, um, and that can be really, um, you know, I think for people, particularly if there's lots of other stuff going on in their lives, to try and um, you know, prioritise healthcare and particularly coming from acute health settings can be really, um, you know, there's lots of challenges in that for absolutely anyone. So um, I guess in terms of this particular project, um, which you do know quite well, um, it, um, you know, it started off, I guess, um, prior to my time, but both the Salvation Army and St Vincent have had a really long and positive relationship um, spanning lots of years. Um, and that's really with the work that we do in our St Vincent's Emergency Department and the alert team that runs out of it where um, we're really working with vulnerable populations with our lead and we do it day in, day out. Um, and I guess that the idea to work collaboratively, collaboratively with the salvos and to look at how we could provide healthcare away from the hospital for people who are vulnerable and experiencing homelessness came up, um, I think, with yourself involved in a conversation um, mm. with um, Andrew Chan and with Major Brenda, Brenda Nottle from the um, Salvation Army and Andrew Chan being the manager of the ALERT program. Um, to I look at we, how we can support our patrons um, a I bit better. I think we had a coffee. 
a coffee across the road when we were having I, a chat about that. <laughs> yeah, and I, I believe that was some years ago now. Um, yeah. And uh, but that was a starting point, and I guess um, the dedication and commitment to this population group aligns so well, and mm. so it was a really great fit. Um, yeah. So I think you know, fast forward a few years later, um, and through the support of the Inclusive House Program at St Vincent's House Australia, we were able to get some seed funding to develop. Um, to really scope out what a model of care could look like and to employ a nurse and a mental health clinician to provide some on-site engagement in a really proactive, assertive, flexible way to people who visit the cafe. Um, and in 2018, that was kind of a starting point for the project. And we had a part-time nurse that started back then. And now we have three nurses, including Bernadette, um, working across the week, um, providing proactive health and wellbeing screening. So we've actually, um, I think, moved a, in leaps and bounds over the last two years um, and have really um, you know, aimed to kind of reach out to a population of individuals who, as I said, are on our doorstep but who may not actually access healthcare all that well or know how to access healthcare um, and perhaps don't even prioritise their health over all the other things that they might be having to juggle day in, day out. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So really trying to improve the access to healthcare and so people didn't have to wait and then turn up at the emergency department in maybe more of a crisis, try and be a bit more proactive. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, right. Um, striking whilst the iron's hot for some people as well. You know, um, yeah. I, I think sometimes people um, may have you know, really great intentions to get some health advice and they'll present to ED but because of waiting times, because of you know, the clunky systems that we have sometimes in hospitals. Um, that, no, you don't, you know, do you? Isn't it cleanest <laughs> at the hospital? No. I understand. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, we, people, people don't always wait around when they perhaps need to. Sure. Or, or, as you say, they wait till a crisis and then they mm -hmm. come in. Um, whereas if we're able to get involved earlier, we may have actually been able to prevent um, a whole range of different interventions that might have to come to, you know, might have to come to fruition. Yeah, great. Thanks, Anna. Well, look, Burn. Let's turn to you now. Um, you're a nurse, so and this particular article you've put into Parity is written from your perspective or a nurse's perspective. So, can you tell us, well, you know, from your perspective as a nurse, what's different about working at six one four? say, compared to working at the hospital or a community health service? What's, what's the most significant differences? Oh, look, it's so different. And there's, like uh, Anna said, there's three of us nurses working there now and we've all come from different backgrounds with different levels of experience. Okay. So it's great. We all bring something new and something different to the job each day. I think I've worked in emergency at St. V's for the last 30 odd years. Yep. So for me, I find that all this clientele that I've been so used to over so many years have always come to me and I've always been under the rules and regulations of the hospital. We told them where to go, where to sit, how to dress, what medications to take. You know, it's always been very um, regulated by the hospital and they were in our environment and a lot of the time they, didn't, they don't like it. Look, a lot of these people have been incarcerated or in institutionalised. They've suffered trauma. Um, yep. You know, they've had terrible experiences in the past. They don't really trust a lot of health services. They don't really trust a lot of uh, in institutions. But now that I'm in their space, it's completely different. Uh, whilst we've got quite a lot of autonomy in what we can do, it's just a much more relaxed atmosphere. 
Um, we don't put rules and regulations onto them. We can offer advice. We offer our support. We've really developed a lot of really strong friendships. And it's really different being um, in their world and they're not in our space. And I think it's mm. great. I can imagine the hospital puts all those rules in place to maintain safety and, and infection control and all that sort of thing. So how does it go working down at 614 where you don't have all those sort of <laughs> rules? How's the safety issue go or, you know, making sure you've got a safe working environment? How's that work? Uh, there's not – the safety issue is, is, is an issue. Um, obviously, the clients can be quite chaotic. They're often drug-affected um, and have uh, quite uh, profound mental health problems. So we tend to work together in pairs. Um, even if you're there by yourself, you'd never take anyone. We've got a little office space where we can do some dressings if we need to. Uh, we wouldn't yep. take a client to a to a, an isolated area by ourselves, and that's yeah. and that's fair enough. And we're very open with them about that. We yep. tend to. You never thought you could do a dressing with a cotton bud and a and a stick of saline, you know. You talk to all these amazing aseptic techniques, and you know, look, you just rock and roll with the uh, times down there, which is which is great. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah. Patience is an, often a virtue for some of our clients, so they don't want to wait around for a long time to get things done. So mm. we try to be quick and efficient, um, but effective at the same time. Yeah, brilliant. Um, oh, look, that, that sounds great. Um, and, and I do, I have experienced homeless people um, wanting to be wanting to get what they want and get out and get yeah. on. So, yeah. yeah, that sounds good. So, I, one other thing you did in your article, and I always love this when we've got, I think there's a few articles in this edition of Parity where some of the clinicians have talked about what a typical day is. Um, you've talked a little bit about what a typical day is down, down at 614. Can you describe that for our listeners? What was a typical day involved for you? Well, um, there's no day that no no two days are ever the same, which is part of the joy of the job. So typical days, we'll get down there pretty early, about eight o'clock in the morning. We check in with the salvo staff. It's a 24-hour service. We see if there's been any problems overnight, or someone's become um, unwell, or had a you know a bad hip even, or an overdose, or you know just yeah. not feeling well. Their general health is pretty poor. Lots of coughs and colds and respiratory stuff going on, asthma, diabetes, but not well controlled. So a typical day, we check in, uh, we head out straight into the cafe where we um, where we reach out to everyone there. Uh, we're very well known now, so we get lots of smiles and waves from across the room, which is great. We're pretty quick to spot a new client. Um, so we'll often just go and introduce ourselves and tell them who we are and what we do. We always wear name tags. We just yep. dress casually. We just wear jeans and runners and you know, T-shirts yeah. and things. We don't look like nurses, um, mm -hmm. which they like because it just breaks down another barrier that we don't need to have. Yep. And so typical days, often just some dressings, maybe taking up some stitches. We do lots of referrals to GPs, mental health, uh, drug and alcohol. We refer people and, and educate them about the safe injecting room. We, um, we're yep. very well connected with other homeless and housing services, so we like to liaise with them. On a given day, uh, one day I housed a pregnant woman and her dog out of a car. Um, right, that another good win good. was yeah, it was really I was I was I was quite new new to the job then. I tell you what, it was stressful, but it was I got a lot of help from the support team back at St Vincent. But that was a good day. Uh, yeah. One day I helped a girl charge her mobile phone down at the local Target store, 
And if she hadn't have got that phone charge that day, she wouldn't have got the call from a housing worker and 100% she would have fallen on the cliff later that day. So it's yeah. funny, sometimes the little wins turn out to be very, very big. Yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, and, and I suppose just to, for our listeners, do you want to describe the cafe down there, the Magpie Nest? It's not your normal cafe, is it? Mm, no, it's what not. do you reckon it is? It's pretty normal in that the, the clients there are uh, one of the Salvation Army um, things that they run with and they maintain is that uh, it's not a soup kitchen. It's not a yeah. line up and be served. Um, they are seated. Uh, the tables are numbered. They have a lot of volunteers that work in the cafe, so they're yep. served. There's little flowers yep. on everyone's table. There's a menu up on the wall. Um, they can go and get themselves cups of coffee and hot chocolate and things. Um, but apart from that, no, it's table service. Um, it's good, hot, nutritious food. It's good breakfast, great lunches. They serve dinner and supper and they have served drinks and toasties all through the night. Mm. It's quite a large space. Um, mm. Long my question, my question should have been: It's not your normal homelessness service. It's actually more no, of that home, homely yeah. cafe kind of arrangement. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Look, the okay. people there are treated with a lot of dignity, and it really is in a very non-judgmental environment. Mm. People are there, yeah. well, staff and volunteers are there because they want to be there. Yeah, it's a great crew that Brendan's brought around him there. Excellent. Yeah. Thanks, Byrne. So back to you, Anna. Um, you, oh, clearly, you've achieved some great outcomes for the clients down there, and you've described those in the article. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you want to tell us what's one of some of the most significant outcomes, and perhaps um, we've just heard a little bit from Byrne there. But if, if there's a story that you'd like to share from one of the clients, in, yeah, in absolutely, the absolutely. So we, um, we've obviously being a project as well. We've been collecting lots of data. Um, we need to, and we've tried to follow up clients as much as, or patrons as much as possible and their outcomes. And obviously some people are lost to follow up. You know, there are people that might come to the cafe um, only very briefly or sporadically. And so we don't always get to see them or follow them up when we would like to. Um, and so it is, as, as Byrne said, sometimes it's about getting in there and doing as much as you can on the day um, and hoping that you can actually follow up with clients um, or, you know, with patrons and, um, that doesn't always eventuate. Um, but when it does, it means that we can actually, um, for the people that do present and do come there, um, and for some people coming to that cafe is the only place where they feel um, that they've got some security, warm, they get nutrition, they aren't judged, they've got somewhere to stay, they've also got somewhere to sleep overnight. Um, they're the people that we um, are able to, you know, really engage with over time and, and really work on, on goals with them um, more um, effectively than the, the people that come in really, you know, from just brief periods. Sure. Um, we have done lots of stuff one-on-one um, -on -one with people, um, but we've also done, um, we have tried to really focus on health promotion as well. So um, one of the really big successes um, last year, which we would love to do again this year, um, was the flu vaccine kind of yep. flu back drive that we did. Yeah, um, and we really, yeah we, yeah, we didn't know how it was going to go. We didn't know what the uptake would be. Um, and we just thought, well, well, we'll just see how it goes. Um, and worked really closely with um, CoHealth, Central City, and the yep. Salvation Army team um, down on site there. And 
did a bit of promotion, but we actually were able to use up our entire allocation of vaccines on the particular day that we did the flu back drive, which was something that we completely blew us away. We did not expect that at all, but um, it was a really great um, way of just helping prevent um, you know, the flu um, in a, a population who probably wouldn't normally get a vaccine and who would be at high risk of getting, getting quite unwell. Um, so in, but in terms of uh, individuals, we have had really great successes with, um, with lots of different people. But one of the um, standouts for me was um, a gentleman, a middle-aged gent that we actually did write up about in the article. Um, it's a, a man who has a very complex history of hoarding and homelessness, um, long-standing financial issues and progressively deteriorating chronic health conditions as well and mm. sleeping rough most nights. Um, he wasn't able to actually access his accommodation due to his hoarding behaviours. Um, initially, he was approached by one of our nurses. I'm not sure if it was you, Byrne, or whether it was one of our other yeah. nurses. It was was it you? I'm not, yeah. yeah. Um, initially for a chat um, in the cafe, and that was, norm- I think, firstly started off as just a, a very brief chat. Um, but then after that, it became, um, you know, there was another opportunity again and again and again um, over weeks to really... Um, strike up her, some rapport with this person um, and eventually this gentleman asked Byrne to have a look at his leg wound. Um, he had a wound um, and very um, unkept toenails and shoes that were really weren't fitting very well um, and weren't really appropriate um, and the wound was um, really required a lot of nursing attention. It was um, quite... Um, you know, it was something that really needed to be attended to. <laughs> um, I get the picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't a, a good-looking foot. Um, and um, we were able to clean and dress the wound and provide fresh socks, which was really great. But also to link this um, man into podiatry at Coat House um, mm. the very next day. Um, then you know we were able as um, as a nursing team to um, attend to those wounds review them weekly over several months um, and then eventually link him in for further medical review over at Crow House and get antibiotics, refer him on to social work to help with finances and housing. And he now has um, housing um, as, um, as, as a result of all that commitment and hard work. But it, look, it took many, many, many weeks. Um, yeah, it was months. Yeah, leading into months. Um, so it has been a really wonderful outcome. And I guess a, a project like this um, just demonstrates that um, you need to just, it's a slow gain. These cases are slow burning cases. You know, you have to kind of just keep chipping away slowly, slowly, slowly. Um, mm. And then you actually reap the rewards at the end. Um, and again, coming back to, you know, why, why we're doing this and why bringing healthcare to, you know, to the salvos, um, you know, if this gentleman just came into ED, one visit into ED would not have fixed his no. foot and no. it wouldn't have changed his housing situation or the rest of his health conditions and how he manages. And mm. um, and so, you know, this is, I think, the beauty of this kind of work that we're mm. doing. So it yeah. sounds like you're able to develop a trusting relationship so someone can then feel comfortable to talk about something that's really troubling them. That's which right. Maybe on, a, on an initial ED visit, maybe not that easy to do. That's right. So, and, and, and having the time, you know, um, having the time, not having the pressure, um, mm. no, no beeps and buzzes and 
um, yep. because it's being called over the loudspeaker. It's, <laughs> it's really, um, it's not confronting. Um, mm. And as Burns said, you know, the, our, our, our team are on the ground, you know, wearing casually dressed, um, don't walk around with, you know, stethoscopes and gadgets and stuff like that, you know, and wanting to poke mm. and prod people. It's, it's all very laid back and, um, and it's just a, a different way of engaging with people and really getting them to trust and to open up and to share. Yeah, fabulous. Yeah. Look, we're coming to the end of our conversation, and I, I, look, that, that it just sounds like a really wonderful model. I'm so wrapped to have this conversation, hearing how it's going. I've read, I've read um, reports about this, so it's lovely to have this mm. conversation. Now, look, we're obviously have a little bit. I should come. Yeah, I should get down there again. It's been a while. Um, now, look, we're obviously having a yarn uh, during COVID-19. Um, and now, to just firstly to you, Byrne, as a clinician, are you, has, has, has this COVID-19 changed the way you're operating in this particular service you're, you're, you're offering? And then do you, do you see if this, this COVID-19 might permanently change the way you might offer a service like this? Yeah, look, it's changed 100% because sadly the cafe, first of all, the services, they were reduced and then altered and now the cafe itself is completely shut. But they're still uh, serving breakfast and lunch through the window out into the alley. And the yep. clients are um, self-practicing uh, practicing social distancing and things like that. Um, so how are you guys operating then? <laughs> well, we now work out of the alleyway a lot more. Um, there's a lot less people just currently because they're currently trying to house homeless people into emergency accommodation. Sure. But that will, our numbers will go back up very quickly. Um, mm. Look, I think one of the best things that we do, the three of us down there, we work really well together as a team. There's no one, each one of three of us, all on a completely equal footing. Um, we've just had to change and um, manoeuvre ourselves into into a new space, in, into a different space again. Probably the biggest change is we now collaborate and communicate even better than ever before with the other housing and homeless services around town. We're in constant contact with the GPs because they're changing. We have a GP bus that comes to the service once or twice a week, so that's fantastic. Um, mm. Our knowledge on the ground of how and where to refer people is pretty good. Um, yeah. And where it will go in the future, who knows? It's still evolving. Hopefully we'll have some sort of a telehealth model going out. We can reach out to homeless people and see how 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 they're doing so that they're not mm. lost. Mm-hmm. Um, mm, okay. you know, it's just, yeah, it, it will change and it will go back to a normal. But as we always keep telling ourselves these last six weeks, it's going to be a new normal. That's it. Yeah, it won't be exactly as it was, but it will be something slightly different. So, Anna, any any additional thoughts from you on how the pandemic might change? Yeah. Um, well, I think um, what we've certainly seen, I think it will probably continue is, and interestingly, you know, the fact that we actually can't see people face-to-face as much has actually meant that we communicate a lot better. Um, yeah. We communicate a lot more, as Ben said, with, with people that we probably wouldn't have in the past. Um, you know, picking up the phone is not such a big deal now um, and yeah. and we talk to other services a lot more. We seem to really know a lot more about what other people are doing and what other services are providing and we share a lot more information more freely. I mean, obviously, with, you know, consent and all that kind of thing, that's still the sure. thing. But we do, um, we kind of, I think we trust other services and trust each other as health professionals on the ground and as service providers. 
not just in healthcare, but, you know, in the social space, probably a lot more. And um, I'd like to hope that that actually does continue because it means better outcomes and more streamlined for people. Um, and, you know, I think out of, out of um, we've had to work that way to be able to continue to provide some sort of service delivery. Um, and it, it's, it's really been so positive. It's been really incredible. So, um, right. it's not been all bad with, um, with COVID-19 being um, rampant, but, um, you know, it, it's been, we've actually been able to make it work really well for, um, for our service and for our clients. So, and you know right. what it's made us do? It's made us realise how important it is that the services stay on and they're yeah. not shut down. Yeah. yeah. More important than, than, than ever yeah. for us yeah. to be there and help these people na- navigate this very hard time. Yeah. Yeah. Because oh, they are the most vulnerable or one of the most vulnerable groups that yep. um, mm-hmm. healthcare systems trying to address. Look, last question for both of you, and I'll come to you, Anna, first. Yeah. What's a quick a quick story or encounter that keeps you doing the job you're doing? What keeps you striving to make a difference? Uh, and, look, I am. Um, it's. I, I think it's just. Um, it's been small games, and um, I think. You know, it's often felt like with this project, and I've said it to lots of people, I feel like we're doing this weird dance sometimes. You know, you take three steps forward, two steps back, one step sideways, and you, don't, you end up in a place where sometimes you don't know how you even got there. <laughs> it's just everything is so, it moves day in, day out. Um, but um, I was fortunate enough to be able to um, do some one-on-one interviews with um um, people in the cafe at the end of last year and I really wanted to just have a bit of a chat um, with people about how they were finding um, you know, our program and working with the nurses and did they see benefit and what thoughts they had about the future uh, if they could wish for anything in terms of our program um, down at the Salvos um, and it was really great um, to hear people who had you know, um, met with Burn and um, and um, our other two nurses, Paisley and Kirsty, um, you know, and they called them their nurses. It wasn't mm. the interest nurses anymore. It was their nurses. Yeah. And I, it just struck me that, goodness, we'd actually come such a long way. And I know, you know, we started in 2018 with so much suspicion <laughs> about what we were doing there. Why, you know, who are we and what do we want to mm. do? And this is a cafe and you shouldn't bring healthcare down there. You know, there were so many questions and um, real concern about what we were trying to do down there and now there's this acceptance that, you know, we're just part of the family now. Um, that is, yeah. That's a real, I find that really a great motivator. Um, mm. But also hearing people's stories. Um, you know, no two people share the same story down there and um, anyone can find themselves in circumstances or in predicaments that um, make them susceptible to... Um, all sorts of things um, and make them vulnerable um, at, in the blink of an eye. Um, it could be any mm. one of us at any point in time and lots of people have lost their jobs now with um, the coronavirus and you know, it's, a, it's really, um, you know, there are lots of reasons why people do find themselves um, marginalised or vulnerable um, or mm. homeless. Um, but it doesn't mean that they don't have health needs um, and it doesn't mean that we can't, you know, try and um, enrich or improve their health. Um, mm. and promote health and, and healthy living and well-being um, in this population. So um, mm. they're, they're, they're the reasons for, for me to keep going with this program and, and working on this project and try and build it into something bigger and better in the future. 
Thanks, Anna. So, Bern, what about you? You've been working as a nurse for many years. What keeps you going, and particularly in this kind of work? Oh, uh, look, it's, I guess it's lots of things. I sort of fell into this position um, down at the Salvos um, in an unexpected way. I wasn't really looking to, for it, but it came and found me, and I'm eternally grateful that I did because I love it. It's mm. a real privilege to be in this position, um, and the girls I work with, Paisley and Kirsty, are fantastic. Like I said before, we work really well together as a team. To just go in and make a difference um, makes me feel very proud, and, I, and mm. which is nice. So it's it's, it's a win win, and and um, they do most of our clients down there that we know pretty well. They love us being there. We're helping yeah. them to feel that valued, and if you can make someone feel that valued, who often society doesn't really respect and that's that's a pretty amazing position for me to be in it's very it's a very rewarding position um and look you know what we have a lot of fun you know we see some some sad things mm. and some bad things sometimes but overall it's dynamic it's fun um it's just yeah. completely out of the box <laughs> oh, great sounds like a real community down there that's wonderful yeah. thank great you to- characters yeah, yeah. Look, thank you, Anna and Byrne. It's been a real pleasure speaking to you and um, keep up all the wonderful work that you're doing. Thanks so much. Thank you. To subscribe to a printed copy of Parody Magazine, visit chp.org.au forward slash parity. This podcast series has been developed by St Vincent's Health Australia. For more information about St Vincent's, visit www.svha.org.au. The music track for this podcast is called Slow Burn by Kevin MacLeod, host of incompetech.filmmusic.io and is licensed under the Creative Commons 4.0 by Attributions Licence. This information, information about our guests and more can be found in the text under the podcast description. Thanks for listening.